Hello there, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Long Live Rock and Roll podcast. Now, on the screen opposite me, but actually in a completely different country, is my co-host, Mr. Philippe Amarim. Hello, Philippe. Tell us where you are and what you're doing. Hi, bro. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm currently in Spain. How cool is that? Ooh, nice. Yeah. You're just taking a break. Yeah, I'm just taking a break. You know, after months, like gigging nonstop, like seven days a week, I yeah. needed a break. So I'm here <laughs> for seven days, resting a bit. We've been to this country many times on tour. It's so good to be here on holidays and it's one know, of those not places, having to travel. Yeah, it's one of those places where I just, everything is so cheap. Like a beer's cheap, a coffee's only like one euro fifty. Um, even the food. I remember when we were on tour, we used to... I, I we always get fed by the venues in the evenings and in the daytime do you remember when we used to drive and stop at the petrol stations i used yeah. to buy a baguette a pack of chorizo a pack of cheese and i just made one long sandwich that would last me for a day and it cost about four euros i'm hungry now <laughs> talking about food but yeah <laughs> so uh do you know what i got with me you know my drink we always have a drink to start the show isn't it okay yeah go on yeah no because it's too hot in spain you know i got i got some water Oh, right. Wow, unbelievable. Natural. But it's, you know, to, I, I don't want to, you know, uh, let the rock and rollness level go go down. So it's on a Jack Daniels glass. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so we compromise, yeah. If the drink's yes, okay. not strong, the glass is. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so how are you doing there, man? Yeah, good. All good here, man. I've just been really enjoying this album that we're going to do. So um, let's crack on into it. Um, so Felipe I wonder has- which album's that? Ah, well, Felipe has chosen the album this week, and the album is Aqualung by Jethro Tull, 1971. Um, Felipe, do you want to start by telling us why you chose this album? Well, uh, because I've got good memories of this album, really, from school. You know, like um, one of my classmates was the guy who introduced me to um, rock and roll, so I'm going to give a shout-out to Dennis, really, really good friend of mine. Haven't seen him in ages, but basically we used to go home after school, either to my place or to his place and listen to albums, actually listen to albums start to finish. Wow. And um, one of the albums he introduced me was Aqualung because he's, his dad was a big fan of the band of Dress of Tall. And, and it was like, you've got to listen to these guys. They're great. And then I started like uh, going to music shops and buy VHS tapes. Videos. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I got this, live footage of of them it wasn't the aqualung tour but they were obviously playing loads of songs from aqualung and yeah anderson's performance on stage it's mind-blowing it was like running from one side to another you know picking up his acoustic guitar and then dropping it and then like picking the flute and playing it's like it's it's (laughs) it's, he's just insane on stage and i was like mesmerized by by the the band's performance and the songs and the whole instrumentation, like, you know, the keyboards, uh, um, you know, drums, bass, guitar, and the occasional violin and, <laughs> and flute is very unusual for a rock band. So uh, obviously I have this memory of being a fan of the band, but then uh, the album itself, it's, it, it's a classic and it's m- m- maybe one of the most remarkable albums in, in, and in, in, in I would say from the 70s, at, at least, you know. Yeah, well, no, I had to agree with you. I mean, I've had such a great time listening to it. We're going to get more into it, obviously, when we go track by track. But um, what stood out to me first off was that after having listened to the album first, then you go and look at the Ian Anderson wrote the whole thing. 
except yeah. the first track where he co-wrote it with his wife or the second track maybe, but he wrote the whole thing. And as we've seen, just, I mean, we've only done two prog bands previously. We did Emerson, Lake and Palmer and Yes. But what I think was important to note with those kind of prog bands was that all, all the musicians had a part in writing, whether it was just a solo, yeah. whether it was a section or a whole song, they all sort of played their part. Whereas with this, this is Ian Anderson's album, isn't it? Yeah, you know, it is his album. And the interesting thing, you, you, just, you just called them prog rock, right? And that's, and that's very controversial in a certain way because... Ian Anderson, he he kind of mocks the fact that people call them a prog band because when mm -hmm. you actually listen to everything they've done, um, well, they have a really, really prog album called Thick as a Brick, which, if I'm not wrong, came came out just after Aqualung. And it's a piss take of prog music. <laughs> Why? They because they did a 45-minute album <laughs> with one song. <laughs> Thick as a brick is the only song in the album, and that's the piss take uh, that probably yes, it is. is and they actually did Thick as a Brick too recently. <laughs> uh, anyway, and it's like yeah, but it's a piss take in a certain way. It was a beautiful song anyway, loads yeah. of parts, and and he could like it was kind of proven that he could do it, and the band was good enough to do that kind of stuff. But he, yeah, he plays so much folk music and classical music. Obviously, prog music is made out of this, and I honestly don't know a a better way to 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 uh, describe what they do if if it's not prog rock but maybe you know musicians they don't like that kind of labels yeah. you know they oh you know what we do is unique whatever every musician is a bit like that so but i yeah i have a controversial uh, opinion on this if you want to if you want to call it a segment let's do it here is <laughs> felipe unleashed God, I'm stealing your segment, isn't it? Anyway, uh, I would say that this album would be almost as good if we only had Ian Anderson's parts in it. Only the guitar, the vocals, and the flute. It would still be a great album. Interesting. So, sorry, elaborate on that more. If we took out everything... If you take everything out and just keep uh, the parts recorded by Ian Anderson... It would still be a great album. That's really interesting, and that's something that actually, um, I'll, I've, I've already got. As you guys know now, you know over the last few episodes, I've done my little end of episode monologue where I tell you what I think about the band or the album. So I've got one prepared, and one thing I mention in it is how it's 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 a compositional masterpiece. I think the songwriting and the the composition that he does with the arrangements, even just his parts, like you said, the acoustic guitar, the flute, the vocals. I think it's fantastic. So, uh, do you know what? I'm going to have to go and listen to this album with a diff with what you've said in mind, and probably I'll need to go and decipher what he did, and then sort of in my head split it and identify Anderson's parts. But that's not something that initially I would say. Oh, hold on, what are you talking about? You know, from you, you've just said that, and I thought, and I said about Ian Anderson being the whole songwriter. It's hard to disagree with. Well, it's, it's, it's a fantastic it's, it's, album, well, well written. Yeah, this this opinion of mine came out of um, an experience that I had this morning listening to the album again. Because uh, when I first listened to this album, maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago, something like that. Or I've obviously listened to the album many times in my life. But when I first listened to the album, it was all about the guitars and the drums and the bass. I was listening as a musician, as a young musician. I was into understanding the instruments and trying to play like those guys. Yeah. It was like, wow, this is a great band. I wasn't 
really into the lyrics or or the let's say the poetic side of the album and when i've just listened to the album really just now again before start recording i was like wait a minute it's not as guitar heavy as i thought it was my initial impression of the album it's loads of you know it's obviously amazing guitar work in the album but it comes and goes yeah sometimes you simply don't have any any electric guitar at all it's just acoustic guitar yeah, this it's much more acoustic heavy than than electric heavy in, in that sense. Like you don't have too much, uh, uh, or don't have as much uh, heavy riffs as you have a folk guitar playing. That's true, and and, float, uh, and flute melodies as well, <laughs> and the flute exactly, yeah. and some strings in a couple of ballads, and oh, they're, they're, and they're, the they're, lyrics are so strong, poetic, and and it's it's stuff. Sometimes you don't know if he's being really serious on the lyrics. And if you take that approach, they're dark. And if you understand more kind of, um, if you understand his British sense of humor, then it's more like, it's almost like comedy, but you don't yeah. know. You don't really know. It can be that's dark that's good, or the, it can the, be the, funny the ambi- at the same time. Yeah, the ambiguity yeah. of whether he is taking the piss, doing stuff like um, thick as a brick, or if he's being serious about his religious and, you know, um, spiritual views, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, great. Um, so I'll do my little Laz in information thing. Um, so obviously the name mm-hmm. of the album is Aqualung. The artist is Jeff Rotal, and it was released uh, in March 1971. Um, it was recorded from April 1970 to February 1971 in Ireland and Morgan Studios in London. Um, that's a long recording time. I mean, I don't know if they were in and out or if they literally recorded. Well, can you, can you repeat that exactly from when to when? Yeah, so April 1970 to February 1971. So that's almost a year. Interesting. So I doubt, yeah. yeah, I doubt they'd have been in the studio for a year. You know, back I, d- I, I doubt either because there's a... Well, Okay, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, and I was just saying that um, uh, 43 minutes in length, and the producer, funnily enough, is Ian Anderson and Terry Ellis. So Ian had a huge part in the production as well, which I think was interesting. And generally, labels that come with this album, genres, you know, accredited styles, prog rock, folk rock, and hard rock. They're the three that sort of, when I was doing my research, I found were mentioned most. Right, interesting. I I, I like, yeah. Do you, um, so the, an interesting thing is that, Pete, that there's a debate online that I've seen as to whether or not it's a concept album because, uh, I mean, just from my notes here, I've got that it was a concept album on the distinction between religion and God. Now, do you have anything to say about the lyrics of this? Yeah, I do. I do I'm have. But I would say, now. well, so, so yeah, yeah, quickly talking about the, um, I would say that I doubt that either the um, recording process or the, maybe, or, or the banding or the, time in studio uh took more than four weeks because that's what uh ian anderson mentions in an interview in there's a kind of oh, deluxe yeah. version of the album with oh, a 14 cool. minute interview with him at the end so maybe he mentions he reckons making- that's the thing or maybe they they used those four weeks over the course of a year but he said they didn't yeah. spend more than four weeks actually in studio playing right. which well, because good. because there was a high demand for you know early 70s there was a high demand for live performances and they were obviously making a lot of money out of that and the label the the, the promoters the uh, you know their agents and themselves they wanted to be on stage as much as possible so yeah. he he reckons it was like they had like three or four songs uh kind of ready and they went to a studio and recorded them and then they did loads of stuff on the spot like locomotive breath was done 
on the spot. Like, oh, wow, like really? we're here like, jamming, coming with ideas. Like, yeah, I've, yeah, some interesting things to say about it. But in, in regards to being a concept album, um, difficult to say because who, I mean, who is in charge of saying that really? Is it, is it up to the musicians to say, oh, we got this concept album? I mean, guys like Roger Waters, they would say straight to your face, like, no, this is a concept album. If yeah. you don't get it, you're wrong. This is a concept album. I had this idea in mind. I think there's a, for me, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I didn't think of it as a concept album, but I found at least two themes that repeat themselves over the album. Okay. Poverty and religion. Interesting. And that's that's what I found because the first two songs are clearly about uh well the relation people have with poverty. So not not poverty itself. So, so basically he um, Ian Anderson said the Aqualung, the song Aqualung is is about this character Aqualung. Actually, the album cover uh is is the character, is not yeah. a real person, but basically his wife took a picture of this homeless old man. And he said, well, that's going to be like, we're going to make that the album cover. They obviously did something that resembled the guy in the picture. And the, so there's a, uh, there's this, I, I want to quote him properly because he said something about Aqualung that I need to find. But basically uh, he, he he said, it's it's not about, um, I found it here, yeah. It's really more about our reaction to the homeless, the embarrassment, the sense of, hopelessness, of tragedy, of sadness, but also degree of fear, degree of discomfort. We have very mixed emotions in regard to a lot of things about which we could be charitable. Mm. So that's that's his, so it's not about, he said, he said he never, he has never been a homeless guy himself. So he couldn't tell the story under that point of view. So yeah. he tells the story under the point of view of someone who is at the same time scared of the homeless guy but also uh, sad about his situation. So and there's, there's another yeah. part as well, sorry, just about the homeless man, is that I read something about Ian, what Andy, Ian Anderson said about how whilst he was sad about the homeless man's life and whilst he felt a certain amount of guilt about him having stuff that the homeless man didn't have, and even what you said about feeling a little, a little scared towards him, he also said that there was also an element of, um, now I'm not going to say jealousy, I'm trying to think of a, of a word, um, Let's call it spiritual envy because the homeless man, um, he's a free spirit and he doesn't have to conform to the pre prescribed formats of society. Yeah. So, yeah. You see what I mean? So because he's homeless, he there's no rules for him to follow. He doesn't have to pay his taxes because he doesn't earn. He doesn't have to, you know, uh, same, same sort of thing, pay a rent. He's not, he's not held down by bills and, and you know all this stuff and i know that's and schedules and, and schedules know. yeah i know it's hard to, it's it's so hard to sort of say oh let's be envious of that because i'm sure we all would much rather have a house to live in and pay rent you know whilst rent sucks at least we've got a home but there is that free spirit thing of actually saying listen whilst i am or, or ian anderson viewing this guy and saying listen whilst he is homeless and whilst this is a, a tragic thing he is not tied down by anything. And I wonder yeah. if that's a sort of a conversation about modern society versus, I, I don't know, nature. Yeah. You know, wow, that's you know. it. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> it could be. And, and it's, it's interesting because he, it, it, he doesn't claim to understand the guy's situation. No, never. And, and not to, it's just like it's, it's literally just his reaction to to someone who has got a completely different lifestyle yeah. for whatever tragic reason or for whatever 
choice the guy made. I don't know. So he doesn't know anything about Aqualung. Aqualung oh. is just that guy, that old man over there. And the character comes back on the second track, which is really interesting. Do you want to tell the story? Yeah. So on Cross-Eyed Mary, the second song. So that's, again, when I first paid attention to the lyrics, it was like, this is quite dark because it's a schoolgirl prostitute. Yeah. And I was like, the song is about this, this girl. And it's like, well, it's a bit dark, isn't it? So she, she, she basically, the lyric says something about she gets no kick out of, of, of the young boys in the school. She, she'd rather pay attention to the old men in the streets, especially the, the homeless guys. So, yeah. and Aqualung. So she, she's into him. Do you know she's what? into have those you, guys. Have you ever seen the movie Taxi Driver? No, no, I haven't. With Rob, okay, it's the same thing. I Robert, should. Robert De Niro. I know I should have. It's bloody brilliant, yeah. Robert De Niro befriends a young, literally, she, well, she's Jodie Foster, but she's must be, I don't know how old she's meant to be in the movie, like 15. They befriend each other, and she's a 15-year-old prostitute working the streets of New York or Chicago, wherever it is, and he's a taxi driver. Um, a lot more happens, but it, it's just, it's, I only just thought of that, that relationship, and that actually... You know, uh, you're right. I, I, I did read a bit into that song, and she didn't care for the company of her classmates and her friends. She much rather would hang out with Aqualung. So th- exactly. So he, he goes into that, and she would, she wanted to hang out with the the old man, but uh, apparently she doesn't charge any money for that. So the whole thing is, she she thinks what she's doing is charity, and she's helping them to be happier. Oh. So it, it's 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 his take on that character. So here's the thing. Uh, would people nowadays feel comfortable to write to write such lyrics? You know, I mean, no, it's, it's you, interesting. It's, it's, you'd be cancelled. <laughs> you would be cancelled. Yeah, exactly. It's the seventies, and I love the fact that he's not saying anything. Uh, it's it's not an opinion at all. It's just like I've created these characters and I'm telling their stories, and that there are people like that out there, and those things happen. And it, it's not a positive or negative take on anything. It's just like this is reality. Yeah, those things exist and they happen, and they out there. Those people are out there, and uh, and it's so. There's something that he said that the cross-eyed Mary is. Well, well I'm going to quote him: "Is a song about another form of low life, but more humorous. It's about a schoolgirl prostitute, but not in such terms. She goes with dirty old men because she's doing them a favor, giving people what they want because it makes them happy." It's a fun kind of song. So on his point of view, he was making fun of a dark kind of scenario, isn't it? It's yeah. That's know. really interesting. Um, the other thing I was going to say towards that, I mean, we should get onto the songs in a bit, but the other thing I was yeah. going to say about that is that um, isn't that another idea of people not conforming to societal formats? She should be with people her own age. She should be only have uh, only friends with her yeah. classmates, but she's not. She's she's what twelve years old? Is that what you said? And she's. I'd, 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 no, she, it doesn't mention it doesn't any age. Or I don't think schoolgirl. So you imagine she could be anything from I don't know twelve yeah, to fifteen or hanging out with it's, his it's old shocking. Man. Yeah, it, but it's shocking. You know, yeah. I mean, it's not. It's something but, that you wouldn't approach and look. But as he says, it uses humor all the I time. I was just going to say that it's make it lighter, like tongue in cheek, like irony, like satire. Yeah, you know, like exactly. You can imagine, you can imagine a, a really dark kind of um, sitcom comedy show 
which just explores the life of a of a fifteen year old prostitute and a homeless man. That's a comedy show, right? That's there. a comedy show, and it's yeah. If you take if you if you do the right take on it, yeah, you know, like with with you know all all the social interactions and and you can make it sound funny. The interesting thing though is it it, it, it just made me think about the the, the theme of going to school because he mentions that this. So I said is it's about uh uh you know it's about poverty it's about religion and it's about school and all those kind of well basically this character is in school the girl and you have him going to school uh, in a, in a couple of songs it's Ian Anderson's like his own point of view of how school tried to um make him follow a certain religion in, in certain terms and he didn't right. quite understand it and he didn't think they were right he basically no you guys didn't get it it's not you know that's not how god talks to me god wow. doesn't say those things to me basically is his approach so basically he's criticizing um the the way school would teach religion religion to young kids and and, and you think about cross-eyed mary she's the girl who didn't didn't just follow the rules and it's it's kind of sad the whole thing but it's it makes you think like if you try to keep people strict into those rules and they don't necessarily follow and it's it's there's an element of tragedy to that that it's not avoidable all the time and there's nothing you can do about it i also feel like taking turning what you've said on that on its head i also feel like there's an element of of liberty there that oh, people there is. Thinking yeah. for themselves, doing what they want. You know, do, would any of us be happy if a fifteen-year-old relative of ours was doing prostitution? I think not. But that's or if any, any anyone in our family was a homeless guy. Yes, yeah. So those. But, so that's the thing about those characters. I think he mentions the discomfort of mm. dealing with those people, right? Yeah. I think it's it's not meant to be cool. It's not meant for you to say, "Oh, yeah, people should just go and do that." It's not what he's saying. It's like it's no. not comfortable to even deal with those. Uh, characters but they exist fascinating fascinating they right. exist right fascinating. they are yeah. there exactly right. and we said yeah. that about the dire straits with the money for nothing yeah Is that some money for nothing yeah money for nothing so yes. yeah he's, he's, he's using yeah exactly the characters are not cool no uh, uh, yeah and if you want, they're there they exist and if you can't talk about them does it make them disappear so I mean, um, is this is this an anti-cancel culture album? <laughs> I don't know. Well, not not really, not really, because that kind of culture didn't exist at the time. Exactly. I think the seventies, uh, people would uh, interpret, you know, um, even have use of drugs and and uh, and um, promiscuous like uh, sex life and all this stuff. That wouldn't be. Um, well, they will try to break the rules. And sometimes people go too far when they're breaking the rules, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it's part of it. Yeah. Um, they, they could they could say whatever. So I think I, I'm glad that the those dark themes that we sometimes don't want to talk about, I'm, I'm glad they exist in the form of music, yeah. which makes it lighter, I think. Like talking about this, it's, it's harder than actually just listening to a song and imagine that those characters exist and we That's don't necessarily have to understand who they are. That's a good point, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, right, let's get on to the songs then, all right? We said we yes. track by track because we've both got like stuff well, about, to say about all of them. So uh, let's do actually, it. But before we do the songs, just quickly, I've got another segment. Yeah. We're going to do a quiz.
So, uh, I've got four questions for Felipe, just to see if he's testing his Aqualung knowledge. Um, right, question one. Which band were recording at Island Studios at the same time as Jethro Tull? Led Zeppelin. And Zeppelin got the smallest room. They did, yeah. And you bonus point, I'm sure you can get it. You know what album they were recording. Oh, no. Led Zeppelin. Is that part of the quiz? Oh, okay. No, no, no. Right. no problem. Question two. What is the common link between the front cover art and the back cover art, but not the interior art of the vinyl? Do you understand the question? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. So the front cover art and the back cover art, the back there's something cover. that links them, but it doesn't share the inside of the vinyl art. Do you, do you know? Uh, no, I don't know. So the original artwork for the front and back cover were both stolen. The original artwork, <laughs> but the inside vinyl art wasn't stolen, and the producer, Terry Ellis, has it in his house. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. You listen, you can Google it um, if, you, if you guys want. Um, listeners, have a Google, see what happened. But it is that they, yeah, they were pieces of art, and they were both nicked, <laughs> which is just insane. Um, insane. Question three: Aqualung and Warchild are the only two Jethro Tull albums to do what? Oh, um, reach the top ten in America and the UK. No. No, it's a little more technical. It's they were both, they were the only two Jethro Tull albums to be, re to be released in quadraphonic sound. Now, for All those right. listening, and this was quite big, apparently, this was quite a bit of an innovation in the early 70s. Quadraphonic sound is equivalent to what we now call 4.0 sound. So if you've ever bought a speaker and it says, listen, you know, set up your home theater in 4.0 Dolby sound. Well, that uses four audio channels in which the speakers are basically positioned in four corners of the room or, or of yeah. a listening space. And it just basically, I think it's another, I think it's the pre surround sound because you're feeling oh, right. you're getting the sound yeah. from all four corners of the room. And so this one and Warchild were the only two uh, Jethro Tull albums uh, to do that. Uh, and the final question, um, which song from the album, which song from this album was Jethro Tull's first song to chart in the US? I'd say it's Aqualung. No. Wow. <laughs> Got it wrong. It's him 43. Really? Yeah, apparently so. I <laughs> thought Aqualung would do it too, but um, which anyway. is a fantastic song as well. I used yeah, to play yeah. that with a cover. Anyway, man, no, well done. One out of four, but they, I think they were hard questions, especially that quadraphonic sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, anyway, just well one. Done. That's fine, but let's, good, let's good crack on and let's talk about. Thank you, thank you. Oh, yeah, I do my research. Um, let's <laughs> crack on and let's talk about the songs. Um, so first off, Aqualung. You know, let's just say the title. You tell me what you have to say. I'll tell you what I have to say, and then we'll move on. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to just mention that the the, um, the whole thing is about uh, obviously about this character we talked about. There's a really interesting uh, verse, really interesting line that says something: uh, "Leg hurting bad as he bends to pick up a dog end." That for me sums up how how terrible this guy's situation is you know yeah. and he's looking at you know he's looking at little girls passing by it's really disgusting at some point. you know, do you know what but it's it's is? it's real character hmm? do you know what describe it yourself is? sir a dog end is is the is the end of a cigarette that people haven't smoked yeah and I, I've, if you if you live in England, yeah, you, it's quite normal to see. Uh, I mean, I live when where was it? I lived in London. It's when you want to get the you want still want to have one more like you, you want to smoke a little bit more, but you only find only find those you know 
Yeah, or um, other people's. That's what's... Yes. Yeah, I know, I know. It's just... Yeah, no, not it's like it, it, yeah, it, 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 doesn't know. It's just the end of someone else's cigarette that you find on the floor yeah. and you light the last couple of millimetres of tobacco just to get a, a, a toke in. Tragic. Um, that, again, that's a lot. Of, that's the... Um, 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 loads of these, like, expressions are in, in the album. When I first read the lyrics years and years ago, I had to look out for the information. Like, what, the, what does that mean? Because it's like, right. it's not... Uh, under a foreign uh, point of view, it's not basic standard English. There's yeah. loads of expression, loads of idioms in there throughout the whole album, and it's really interesting for you know for whoever is into. If you're listening to this and and English, just like me, English is not your first language. Just go into, just dig deep into the lyrics of this album. You're going to learn a lot. Anyway, but I think the the story is amazing. Uh, the way he describes these guys pain but under his point of view as he said he wasn't a homeless guy at any point in his life so he doesn't know how it feels like but he can get a certain sense of how it how is it and mm. um and i think the instrumentation is just brilliant the main riff and the the spaces between the riff and and the way the drums interact with the riff and the main drum groove in the song it's not like a classic kick hi-hat and snare it's all based on the low tomes mm. and it's like really really dark and heavy i love it it's like that yeah. and obviously you have that massive contrast on the on the actual chorus of the song is just guitar acoustic guitar and vocals then you see how beautiful the songwriting is even without the main riff and i'll tell you this i i've i've seen them live years ago in brazil oh wow and yeah to tell you how powerful the songs the songwriting is i'll tell you two things about that gig uh, he couldn't play his flute because I think he had some issues. I don't know. He couldn't. He didn't play the flute on that tour, and he had someone playing violin to do some of the flute lines, but not all of them, and not exactly like them. Yeah. Even without the flute, Jethro Th- <laughs> Jethro Tower is still a fantastic live band, and they played, believe me or not, Aqualung without the main riff. Interesting. They wanted to prove a point. Like this is yeah. a great song. Without regardless, yeah, you might think it's about the guitar, you might think it's about the band, but he was like, "Listen, the lyrics are beautiful, the melody. They play bits and pieces of the riff without never finishing the riff." That's very cool. And I was like, and it's, it was such agony, like, please play the riff. <laughs> but what a song, anyway. Yeah. Nonetheless, um, what a song. Well, uh, my my thoughts on Aqualung. I mean. The the riff itself, it really reminded me of Cream. Had this old, yeah. this old kind of blues, sort of heavy, hard rock, dissonant line. Um, acoustic breaks were beautiful in it. Uh, I thought the, the 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 contrast between his beautifully smooth vocals and the dissonant kind of hard rock riff really worked yeah. together. Um, and the only other thing I have is his voice really reminded me of Greg Lake. And I think, like I said, the, the the contrast between those heavy, dissonant, bluesy riffs and his Greg Lake voice worked so nicely together. Very uh, interesting. Yeah, that's it for Aqualung. Uh, track two, Cross-Eyed Mary. So we said a lot about the song. I'm going to add um, something here. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... Um, there's, there's, there's a line in the song that I think is fucking beautiful. She's the Robin Hood of Highgate. Helps the poor men get along. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's, it's, so 
It's just the take on it. It's like it should be a sad, tragic, disgusting situation, but it's like but he keeps the humor there. He keeps the humor. It's other way, and he sings in a serious way. It makes you think. Is that? Uh, so I've got a question. Yeah. I was going to say, is that not so British? Just like taking a serious exactly. Part and if, humor if, out it, if you don't share that sense of humor, I wonder how. Like uh, the American audiences uh, interpret everything he said in the that's album. That's why only him forty three got into the charts. <laughs> exactly, maybe that's right. Maybe that's it's funny. Sorry, you it? had a question. Uh, uh, no, no, yeah, because you know which heavy metal band recorded that song. I do. Yes, I'll put it in the playlist. So yeah, Iron Maiden did it, didn't they? Uh, what a great version! I like it. It's, we'll it's... put all these in the playlist, guys. We'll put the whole album, and then I'm going to mention some songs that I think sound like the others, and we're going to put this Iron Maiden one in there as well, as usual, and it will be at the bottom of the show notes. Um, did yes. you have more to say about Mary? No, I think we can no. can move on next um, next song. Well, no. I just no. I will say some stuff about Cross-eyed Mary again. I'm talking very musically about it. Yeah. Um, I thought the flute introduction was very cool. It was almost tribalistic. I almost heard these like this tribal kind of music at the start. Um, I thought the intro and the outro, the first what the first thirty seconds and the last twenty seconds. I can't even describe why I feel this way, but it felt like film music. It felt like I should be seeing something visual on a screen whilst the intro and outro were happening. Um, I thought the hard rock guitar and bass tones during the verses were really cool, contrasting that with uh, a funky kind of chorus. Um, somewhere in the song, there's the same chord progression as Good Times, Bad Times by Led Zeppelin. There's All right. Done bad times, you know, I had my share. Then it goes up a tone. Then a woman left home for another man. There's That's somewhere in the song. Um, the flute solo was fantastic, and I found it really progressive because you've got these classical elements in rock. So he takes these classical kind of flute melodies and he puts it in a rock setting, just like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer did. Um, you've got the distorted keyboards that reminded me a lot of Space Trucking by Deep Purple. Um, and yeah, the only other point I had was about the lyrics, but we've covered that. So yeah, no, that's yeah. a great track, Cross-Eyed Mary. I thought that was it really is, good. It is. Um, it's track it's three, amazing. Cheap Day Return. Uh, do you know what the song is all about? I don't know. Yeah. So Ian yeah, Anderson was uh, returning to London from the north. I don't know where in the north. Um, but then he, he visited his dad in, in the hospital. And he was wondering if if the nurses were treating his dad uh, or, you know, or, or treating himself as well in a good way because because he's famous. So there's something about taking his autograph, the lyrics. Oh, and they wow. were really kind to him. But he was like, is it that because I'm I'm famous and they want to be nice to me, are they treating my dad, uh, you know, in the same nicely way. and in the same yeah. way uh, or in the way he deserves? So it's a, it's a sad song because he doesn't know what's going on with his dad and he doesn't know if he's, you know, having a, a good time there or not. And it's, yeah. So that's, that's really funny because I feel like a short quite, song. Yeah, well, I feel like it has quite an uplifting vibe to it. I mean, for me, yeah. it reminds me of a song called "The Wind" by Cat Stevens, um, almost a bit like uh, Bron, Bron, Bron. I don't know. Bron Yirol by Led Zeppelin and going to California. <laughs> those kind of short, sweet acoustic songs, um, very folky, short, sweet, and acoustic. I thought it was a really lovely song. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't, uh, there's, there's quite a few songs in the album that are shorter than two minutes yes. in contrast to songs that are six, seven minutes long. So I mean, I've, I've addressed that uh, in my, uh, in my yeah. monologue. All right. um, track four, Mother Goose. Now, this one I thought <laughs> was really good. I really enjoyed this one. It was one of the earliest songs written for the album, actually. I feel that it has this really lovely country, folky vibe about it. I mean, one of the, one of the notes I've written down is that it reminded me of Friend of the Devil by Grateful Dead. Um, I thought it had a lovely use of dynamics. Uh, this is what Ian Anderson had to say about the song, actually. He said, I tend to be more in social realism in terms of subject matter, but I do stretch to the more whimsical, surreal songs like Mother Goose. And Anderson has also called the song a surrealistic pastiche with summary motives. And I think that word, summary, is lovely. Not summary as in let's summarise, like summer. And it does yeah. have a summery vibe about it, doesn't it? It's just nice. It's light. You can imagine listening to it with the sun out and the wind blowing through, you know, a, an English countryside. And I, I, it's it's interesting then, again, because I can see the characters. I can see, well, in this case, maybe him in in a uh, in Piccadilly Circus, right? And as um, do, do you know what the lyrics are about? Do you want to tell what's the part? I, about d- I don't know, but I have I have no. one part. Uh, I just want to quote one part. I don't really know what he's talking okay. about. There's loads of stuff in there, but this I love this this part of the song that he says, and a foreign student said to me, Was it really true? There are elephants, lions too, in Piccadilly Circus. Wow. So you can you can see that happening. You can see the student, like someone who's never been to London coming to him, like, is it is it is it a real circus? You know, are you we know, gonna I, see elephants and lions in there? I've just I've just got goosebumps <laughs> from hearing that, man, because it's that that really is the that really is the marvel of London is the me having been born there and lived there for a few years, you living there or you've lived there for the last however many years as well. There is this sort of this, this mythicness around London, isn't there? That Oh my God, does London really have this? Is it really like, (laughs) is it really the city that never sleeps? And just you saying that I can just imagine a foreign, you know, it's giving me goosebumps just that think, you know, thinking that someone would talk about my hometown like that and say that. Yeah, can I see it? Is yeah. it true? Are there elephants? Are there lions? It was, it's a circus, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the comedy comes in as well. Yeah. How he's done that. Exactly. He's married up a very serious and emotional, for me, point about how fantastic London is to the outside world, mixing with the fact that he's joking because it's a circus. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it makes me makes me feel like he's, he's kind of um, telling people that London is not what you think it is. And nothing is exactly what you expect, but it can it, it can be even better. You, that's, you never know. That's a like, fantastic it's, point, man. That's a fantastic point. Yeah, it's really, it's, really it's quite because it's, you hear so much about those places when you go there. It's not really what, what you expect, but and not necessarily. My worse. opinion is better. Exactly. My, my opinion is better. Exactly. You know, it's just, it's just different. Yeah, and uh, um, are we moving on to the next? Yeah. One? So track five is called "Wandering Aloud." Um, I tell you, this one really reminded me. It had a really sort of James Taylor vibe about it, kind of like the Cheap Day Return, just this acoustic sort of song with some nice uh, melodies. Um, I thought one thing that stood out about this was the stunning orchestration. I mean, the, the classical music that you're hearing, the string melodies that accompany the guitar... It, as you and me both know, because we've studied orchestration and arrangement uh, to degree level at university... It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to make lots of songs, uh, lots of instruments within an orchestra, violins, trumpets, flutes, um, percussion, oboes, clarinets, 
to make them all sound so good and work with each other is a really hard task. And I think that again, you know, I don't really know if anyone did this for him or if he did this, but whoever did it, it is phenomenal. The, the orchestration sounds beautiful. It is beautiful. And it's, it's uh, basically strings, isn't it? And it's, yeah. and I, there's, I found a video of him playing the song with um, maybe a strings quartet. Or oh, can, you, can, you send it? can you send it to me? I'll we'll put send it in the show it, notes. It's, yeah, it's just beautiful when Fantastic. they actually play the band and, and the strings. And um, it's, again, it's just short of two minutes. It, yeah. It's a minute and 53, if I'm not wrong. And it's, and you don't need anything more. You don't need, no. you don't need it to be longer. He tells no. the story, he ends the song done and it's about like a day a normal day an ordinary day in a couple's life and they they're thinking about you know when we get older you know is this still going to be that good whatever it and, and i love the the last line of the song and it's only the giving that makes you what you are and it's just so poetic and so beautiful and it's and that that's love right you know what i mean yeah. you want to describe what love is is that you you actually concerned about giving, yeah. and it's just that it's and it's um I can't I'll tell you this this is my absolute favorite song in the whole album and really um yes yeah, wow. yeah I I would say of the whole band's discography for a simple reason uh, it's what makes us enjoy music isn't it it's when you can't stop listening to a song every single time in my life I've listened to that song I I had to repeat it really. Tell it that's like you I said. Enough of it, you want more? Although, yeah, although those two minutes are exactly what the song needs. I was, but I want to listen to it again. Yeah. Two minutes is not enough for me. I want to listen to it again and again. That's lovely, beautiful, man. That's beautiful, nice. beautiful song. Yeah, beautiful I'm glad. Song. I'm glad you feel that way. That is a lovely song. Um, the next song is called "Up to Me." This is track six. Um, I didn't really have many notes on this. I was just saying that the I thought the riff um, was very progressive sounding. Uh, that's the flute riff. Um, that's all I really had on it. What do you have well, to say? Well, I, I, I think, again, the, the most interesting thing about, well, um, he uses the language again in a beautiful way, up to me in many different meanings of the expression, up to me, it's really cool. But um, it's, the, the, again, you have mainly acoustic guitar, there's percussion instead of drums, which is like, it's not, that rock and roll one to think about it but it is yeah. you know instead of yeah. a whole drum kiss it's, it's more preparation and the flute playing the main riff i think that's a really uh a bold decision to make you know it's like i know he can play the flute really well but to be a band leader and say look we have this amazing riff and it's going to be played by the flute not uh, <laughs> not the, actually can can we do a segment of this yeah, go on, introduce it. So, how rock and roll is that? Play the main riff of a rock song with a flute instead of a guitar. <laughs> okay. Now you I give me, you that give me the question coming. Oh wow! Um, I mean. I think I think you have to look at what it did for prog rock because I know prog rock. You know, we when when we associate bands like ELP, you know, it was the late '60s that they kind of all got going. So prog rock had had its, it was still in its prime. I think at this point, but what made prog different was taking other elements of music like the classical stuff um, and putting it into a hard rock setting, essentially. So do you know what? I think this has to be high scoring. I'm going to give it a 92 because he's shaped 
I don't want to say he's shaped a genre, but he has he's made a huge statement as to what this particular genre can be. Right, what can progressive rock be? Right, well, as long as the instrumentation is roughly the same, drums, bass, uh, yeah, drums, bass, and a rhythm guitar, you can put whatever you want on top of it, whether it was Keith Emerson's piano or uh, Ian Anderson's flute. You can do what you want. But it, in terms of being rock and roll for me, it's like, imagine you've written that riff. Maybe even if you wrote the riff with the flute, it's like, this is a riff, <laughs> and it could be hard, and, you know, um, like could be a, you know, hard rock, distorted guitar riff in your face. And I said, nah, just play with the flute. But it still works. That's rock and roll. <laughs> but that's rock and roll. It's like, yeah. I think that. 92 the flute, the flute is the, the flute is the lead instrument in a rock band. You know, <laughs> it's just like almost like in Palmer, um, yeah. not having a guitar player. You know, it's like mm. it's rock and roll. But yeah. in this case, I think it's even more shocking that the fact that you have a great guitar player behind you and say, Nah, now I'm going to use you. That's a good point. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be the flute. Yeah, instead. I think that's, I think 92 <laughs> is a very good score. Then, is, yeah, um, yeah. So right. next track is my. Did you have anything more to say about? Um, no, no, just no. move on. Right. Well, next track, track seven. Actually, I think is my favorite from the album, and it's called "My God." And to completely right. use the pun, my God, is it a good song? <laughs> <laughs> I've got lots of points on this. I'll just go through them. Um, I thought the flute counter melody. To the vocals. The vocals doing one melody, and the, uh, that's what a counter melody is for anyone who yeah. doesn't know, is that whilst the vocals doing one melody, the flute is doing another melody that's different, but it still works. I thought it was very proggy. Um, the fiddle and or the fiddle slash violin that came in, very gypsy jazz. Very gypsy jazz. Interesting uh, point there. I, I, I put a, I put a, a YouTube link in the show notes of a, one of my favourite gypsy jazz guy, a guy called Borelli Legren, and he often plays with a fiddle player. And I'll just find one little short song with the fiddle in, and you hear how it compares. Um, I thought the riff was really heavy. I thought the verse riff was cool and really dissonant. Um, heavy metal riff, because you've got heavy guitar, it's distorted, it's louder than the vocals, which I thought was important, and it's playing quite dissonant. Um, I loved his flute solo because one element I loved of it is that you can hear him breathing whilst he's doing it. Yeah. You know, in modern times, they might get rid of the breathing, but he's going, and then the party goes, he does this part, he goes, yeah, it's just like this is him scatting, you know, with the flute. Rock and roll. Now, this is, there's two. There's two songs that I've sort of compared this. One song came after this song. One song came before. The flute solo in the middle on its own reminded me a bit of Heartbreaker by Led Zeppelin. You know, where the song just stops and yeah. Jimmy Page does his solo. Now, the middle section with the choir, I just thought that was completely Bohemian Rhapsody. And that's, and that's very unexpected. Um, and it's in before a, yeah. Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, you know right, we, yeah. You know, yeah. We, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody's 1975, and we all thought, oh, my God, look what he's done with the choir. He's done all this la vocal layering, and you get this, that, and the other, and then it comes in for a heavy riff at the end. Well, we all thought that was the first time anyone had done something like that, but yet here we got a flute solo followed by an arranged choir, um, and then with multi-layered -layered flutes coming in as well as vocals, and then it, after that section it goes into a heavy rock riff afterwards just like bohemian rhapsody so i don't know i have to put it out there queen did I've... you um did you listen to my god before you wrote bohemian rhapsody maybe they did <laughs> i know everyone was listening to them at the time so yeah. i think and it, there's a clear context it it's it kind of church choir isn't it it's yeah. not 
It's very kind of religious yeah, motives. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really interesting. And sorry, can we just talk about the title as well? My God. Yeah. Like, because that, that, that's so many. Look how I used that pun a minute ago. I said, my God, is it a good song? But this could also but, be, I'm talking about my God. And it is, and it is. He's making a point about, um, it is one quote from Ian Harrison. Um, isn't a song against God or against the idea of God, but it's against God and the hypocritical church of the establishment. It's a criticism of the God they choose to worship. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, you know, when you think about it, it's the fact that he's pointing out uh, 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 the fact that some religions or some, I wouldn't say not, not every time the religion itself, but some people who are part of their religion, some priests and some, you know, uh, they, they, they literally shape God into something that suits them, into something that's going to serve their purposes. And what uh, yeah, Anderson's basically saying, look, when I talk to God, it's not like it's not like that. Yeah. It's not the way He talks to me. So that's not my God. Your God, something else. Yeah, and it's really interesting, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have anything else to say about that song? I love that. Uh, one. No, yeah, that's it. I mean, no, if we move on into the next song, you see the, yeah. the religious theme still there. Okay, well, you take us into it. Track eight is him forty three. Why don't you take? Well, us it's 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 for me. It's straight to the point. Heavy, uh, um, aggressive vocals. Yeah, and the religious topic is there again. Uh, there's a really cool part of the song where he says, "If Jesus saves, well, he'd better save himself from the gory, glory seekers who use his name in death." Oh, wow. Jesus, save me! Wow. So again, That's it's not cool. about it's it's actually it's not again it's not criticizing Jesus. He's like, okay, Jesus is cool, but look at what people have done with what he tried to teach us. And it's it's really, really cool. It's a really cool approach. I like it. That is, yeah. The only thing I had to say about that album, I, again, I talked about the musical aspects of it, was um, I thought it was a really kind of Zeppelin-y riff, very bluesy, um, syncopated rhythmic hits as well throughout the song were really nice. One thing that I want to draw your attention to that I found really interesting is it's actually, it's really weird because it doesn't happen before this song, but it happens on the last four songs. It happens in three of them. And that is the guitar playing dead notes in a rhythmic mm. way. Um, so it happens, I don't know, I'll touch on it after, but um, it happens yeah. in this song as well. It's the guitar. He's not playing any notes. He's, um, do you know, I'll just, let me show you quickly. So, this is a mandolin. It's not a guitar. I'm not. A, I'm not a giant. Um, if you've got, a note, <laughs> if you've got a note like that, and this is a cheap mandolin, so don't worry about the sound. That's a note, or this is a dead note. And yeah. throughout the song, you hear, and it's in the lot. It's in tracks eight, nine, and eleven. That throughout the song, you just hear, and it's and it's purely rhythmic. On a melodic instrument, which is interesting, but we'll come well, to it's, it's 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 a yeah, it's an interesting. I'll, I'll say that um, they use that resource a lot over the album, don't they? And it's um, it's a percussive approach of exactly. a string instrument. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, track nine, Slipstream, another one of those short acoustic songs, isn't it? It's a folk song again. Yeah, it's folk. That's that's not rock. It's folk. No. 
And again, it shows the power of the songwriting over everything else. And again, yeah. just like I want to say with, uh, what was it, Wandering Aloud, the orchestration, classical guitar playing. I mean, if you listen to something like, you know, there's a difference between acoustic guitar playing and classical guitar. I'll put a track on the playlist by John Williams, the famous John Williams, who wrote all the Star Wars and the Harry Potter music. Um, he plays classical guitar. And the difference between classical guitar and acoustic is with classical guitar, you're often playing the melody at the same time as the chords. So when I put this, I'm not, do you know, what? I'll put a song in the playlist and I'll do a video so you can watch John Williams. Classical guitar players and their hands, I mean, I know you can't see what I'm, Felipe can, but you lot can't see what I'm doing. The hands are so stretched because you've got to play a melody with the top fingers whilst keeping the bass note in your bottom fingers. So I just thought this was a fantastic um, display of the guitar player's talent. Uh, would it be Ian Anderson playing this? Uh, the acoustic guitar, I would say so. Yeah, so, yeah, you're right, acoustic guitars, Ian Anderson, Martin Barr is the electric um, guitar. But, yeah, just um, just listen out, you know, watch that John Williams video and then come and listen to this. And it's just so much talent. I mean, I talked about the orchestration with the strings and the flutes, but now we're hearing classical guitar as well. It's just unreal, unreal composition. Well, that's And it's, again, uh, short, you know. Yeah. Another short one. Um, now we're into the penultimate track of the album, which is Locomotive Breath. Um, I, th I thought this is a really good track as well. Um, very riff heavy. Uh, you got a classical piano at the start, which reminded me of, Qu again, Queen from the same album, A Night at the Opera. The first opening, uh, the first track of Night at the Opera is Death on Two Legs. And it has this fantastically talented uh, piano intro that Freddie Mercury plays. And I found the same kind of thing here. Um, the constant dead note rhythm. So what I just did on the mandolin, that rhythm being played behind the track really reminded me of Pigs by Pink Floyd. You know the oh, part, there you go. You know, um, the oh god, the cow interesting. Bell, the cowbell. You have the cowbell there. Da, 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 da. And the cowbell just constantly going through. This is what the guitar sounded like to me. And again, this is eight. This is eight. Uh, eight years before Animals came out. Um, so you know, I'm not. And again, here's saying... an interesting thing. Here's an interesting thing. Um, Queen and Pink Floyd. They did loads of overdubs. You know, it's like recording different layers of instruments and not necessarily playing them together. You go there and record one instrument and another, another one and, and another one. That's why you have bands with one guitar player and you have four or five guitar tracks in a song. That's that's very common resource. But up to that time, like 1971, I reckon most things were recorded with the whole band live studio, just a few overdubs. Interesting story about this song is it was it was made on the spot. So he had some ideas, but it wasn't clear. Okay. And he had no idea. Yeah, he had no idea how the song would sound as a final product. But he had some things in his mind, and he said he was struggling to um, deliver that information to the bandmates, so his bandmates. So he was like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to start recording. He said there was no click tracks at the time where you record things to a metronome track, yeah. like a click, and you just play your instrument on top of it, and everyone else can play on top of it, and it's going to sound in sync because yeah. you have the metronome as a reference. So what he did was he recorded the bass drum, the kick drum, you know, and the hi-hat to start with he played that for about four minutes so that's it that's the thing so it's like it was actually four on the floor which means the the, the bass drum is doing boom 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 play yeah, all four beat, beats yeah. of the bar and the hi-hat which i believe he plays with sticks plays on beats uh two and four so boom, boom he recorded that all the way 
uh, four minutes, and then he recorded acoustic guitars and some electric guitars and some vocals. Again, that song could work just fine yeah. with just Ian Anderson. <laughs> and then obviously, so the drummer had some drums to record on top of it. So like, okay, there's, there's already some drum work in there. So he recorded toms on top of those uh, kicks and hi-hats. And then and then the guitar solo, or the you know, all the, the lead guitar parts came and piano and everything else. So no one knew exactly how the song would end. So how, uh, what's the final product? So really cool way of writing a song with, uh, you got to think about the resources of the, that time. Nowadays, yeah. you can you can sample everything and do everything on, on your laptop and try, oh, this is going to sound good. But at the time, you, you just had to go for it. And you you mind you, you're, you are wasting tape. So recording on tape, you waste that. That's precious. That's that's worth a lot of money, and, and you just have to do your best. Good. It's brilliant. Yes, exactly. <laughs> really, really cool stuff. Um, what a song! Now, finally, oh, okay, that's yeah. yeah I have it. one. Yeah, one note about this song as well. Uh, he says the song, the lyrics, uh, which I had no idea they were about this. Uh, you know, quote about the issues of overcrowding, the rather claustrophobic feel of a lot of people in a limited space. <laughs> and that 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 um, explains the title as well. Yeah, <laughs> locomotive train, but you're on the train, the locomotive breath. So I imagine he's yeah. talking about people being up close, breathing in your face on the train. <laughs> exactly. Again, a witty, really. satirical, humorous title. <laughs> Amazing, you know. Like you take you take this like uh, simple thing of of um, an everyday routine, which is like, getting on a train or whatever, and it's yeah. an over- overcrowded places. Everyone goes through that kind of stuff. And it turns that into po- poetry and rock and roll. Yeah, that's oh, brilliant, really stuff. Uh, now, the final track of the album is a track called Wind Up. Um, I-, I thought this was a really, really nice track because you, there were so many different elements of stuff I was hearing. I mean, we've, we've gone through and we've spoken about classical music in these songs, folk music in these songs, hard rock in this song. I felt like this was an encapsulation of everything we'd heard. I mean... You got the very quiet acoustic intro. Um, the, then the main, the, the rest of the songs kind of riff heavy. Um, the, the 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 verse it reminded me of like an Elton John chord progression. That the Elton John song "Your Song." I'll put that in the playlist. Um, just the way the chords moved. You know, Elton John was a fantastic piano player who really knew how to move from uh, you know which chord he should go to afterwards. And I really heard that here. Um, You've got the dueling twin lead guitars um, that were doing their bit. I think that's towards the end of the song or in the solo or something. Again, who was doing that at this time? Thin Lizzy and the heavy metal, as you heard from last week's episode. Um, And again, another part of this song is the rhythmic dead notes that go on. You've got the bluesy guitar riffs for the main verse. I just thought this song was just a fantastic amalgamation of everything we'd heard from the first 10 songs all the best parts, all the main themes from each song put together into one song that actually ends the album beautifully. Yeah, what a what a way to end an album, isn't it? Yeah. yeah With exactly. something that sums up the whole album. Again, I love the lyrics and back to the theme of God, isn't it? I, I love this part when he says, and I asked this God a question, and by way of firm reply, he said, I'm not the kind who have to wind up on Sunday." You I'm tell me what you that think. Part again? I'm not the kind you have to wind up on Sundays. It's yeah. It's I. It's how it's, do you interpret that? I, I. I. Again, what I see here is God saying to him, "I'm not 
that God that your that you've been school teacher, yeah. yeah, I'm not that one. Fantastic, man. <laughs> this is just, I mean, I haven't, I haven't paid attention to. I mean, I hear the lyrics, obviously, and I take them yeah. in. I, I love how you do this, man. I love this dynamic that we've got on the show <laughs> now, where quite often I address the musical topics and you talk about the lyrics, depending on which albums we do, obviously. But the fact that you've pointed this out to me, that this album is just lyrically. Obviously, other little bits here and there, but forget the stuff about Aqualung and the uh, and the schoolgirl. But the, a huge theme throughout this album is how, <clears throat> excuse me, is how Ian Anderson views religion and God. And I mean, rock and roll is musical freedom. We say it every week, and yes. his way of saying, "Well, do you know what? You do you. You look after you. Worship your God. You way. Uh, you worship your God your way. You go to church when you want. But this is what I think about it and." Man, like you said earlier about how it makes us uncomfortable talking about certain things in a discussion, but then when it comes to music, we can address them. I think this is another fantastic example that he is saying, well, this is how I view my God, and I'm going to tell you through music. Yeah, wow. And it's, and there's a, for me, there's a strong element of respect in there, in the sense like, do you know what? I get you. I understand. That's where you're coming from. But you know what? I'm not like you. Yeah. You know, and I, I can see who you are, but you can't see who I am. Mm. And it's interesting, isn't That's it? Great. And, yeah, and it's, it's a very personal take on everything. And he's not claiming. That's what I love about his lyrics, which I only understand right now. It's he's not claiming to uh to know the truth. Yeah. To get it. It's not like it's not saying like, like it's not saying yeah, my God is better than yours, or it's yeah. like this is how I see it. This is how he's actually saying he talks to God. So that you should get it. It's like it's not yeah. like it, but it's a, that that's what I heard from him. It's not what you got from yours. Yeah. And it's not it's really interesting. And and he he's kind of capable of understanding to a certain level, um, without claiming to to be part of that thing, but he's capable of understanding um, his God, someone else's God, yeah. and the schoolgirl prostitute and the old uh, homeless guy, you know, and he understands them. Be- yeah, because everyone in life, you can only, that, there's a fantastic, um, have, you, have you ever read the book To Kill a Mockingbird? It's an American classic. No, I don't know that. No. Oh, no, actually, no, no, wait a minute. Yeah, I watched the movie. Yes. Oh, man, the movie's fantastic, yeah. but you've got to do the book as well. The book is yeah. just funny. It's probably my favourite book. Um, and there's a quote in there which says that you can't understand... You, I, I'm going to get it wrong, so I'll just say what it, the general means, is you can't You can't understand... You, something about you can't understand a, a day in a man's life until you walk a day in his shoes. Yeah, and that's just saying that you cannot actually judge anyone, and you cannot claim to know how someone is feeling or thinking without knowing what it is like to be them. And I think sort of what the quote I just said, mixed with what you've said, is a fantastic interpretation of Ian Anderson's lyrics and what he's feeling. He's like, you know, and listen, gone. Interesting that you mentioned this classic book, and it, it makes you think. Um, this is literature, isn't it? These this whole album. <laughs> It's yeah, English no, literature. It's, it's, it's poetry at its at, at its best, in my opinion. Do you know what? I it's really I, good poetry. Yeah, it's it's stunning. I haven't of all the albums we've done. 
this hasn't been I have to say I love it it's really it's a brilliant album but of the ones that I of the albums that I'd never heard before and got into because we've done an episode on it I wouldn't say this is my favorite I liked um Electric Ladyland I thought that was really good there's a few others we've done but what but this has been oh, I don't know what to say I feel like several times this episode what we've done now I have got goosebumps from stuff you've said about Ian Anderson's lyrics from some of the musical elements we've discussed. I, I'm in awe of this album, of this songwriting, and I will now go and listen to more Jethro Tull, and I will listen to this album again because it's bloody brilliant. Um, I, I'm just... thinking about listening to it again right now. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Um, fantastic. Well, right, so to 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 sort of end this uh, end the episode, what we'll do is we'll just tell you a little bit about the, the critical reception it got because at the time it wasn't actually that... I mean, it was good, but it wasn't incredibly well-received. Um, I'll just throw a few lines out there for you. Um, Rolling Stone said it's a fine musicianship and it was a serious and intelligent album. Uh, Sounds magazine said the taste and variety made it the band's finest work. Um, the Village Voice called it the 22nd best album of 1971. All Music said it's a bold statement and extremely profound. Pop Matters said that it's a cornerstone of the prog rock canon, but it did and does exist wholly on its own terms as a great rock album. Um, I'm mentioning Steve Harris because obviously Iron Maiden covered Cross-Eyed Mary. Yeah. Um, Steve Harris said it's a classic album, fantastic playing and fantastic attitude and vibe. And in terms of, you know, where it stands today, Classic Rock have called it the 30th um, best rock album. Rolling Stone have it as number 337 in their 500 greatest albums of all time. Uh, in terms of the best-selling albums of the 70s, it was the 90th. So of the whole 70s, wow. it was the 90th best-selling album. Uh, prog call it the 43rd uh, best prog album of all time. Um, and, I, I mean, it's hard to disagree with any of those comments because it's just a bloody great, great album. Um, to end the show, Felipe, do you want to tell us your thoughts on the album before I do my little end-of-episode monologue? Um, what I I think, what I have to say is, is the, um, I think there is no compromise at any point in the album, that's how I how I see um, Ian Anderson's approach to the album. It's no compromise. Everything he wanted to do is there. Uh, the folk acoustic guitars, the, the flute taking the lead, and as I said to you, the contrast between folk and heavy rock is a strong element in the album. Yeah, but I believe the the, the fact that it's a one one man's idea start to finish is what amazes me the most and it's how the good one, the lyrics it's, are exactly it's like you like you're jumping into Ian Anderson's brain and getting <laughs> yeah. getting a taste of how he sees the world really? you know and again a great statement on poverty religion and um and school and school. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. Well, I'll tell you my thoughts on the album um, with my, my usual... Maybe maybe we should turn this into a segment, Lags, Laz's monologue. Um, Laz, yeah, <laughs> okay, let's do it. It's a segment. Here, uh, what are we going to call it? Laz's monologue? Laz's... Yes. Fine. Here is Laz's monologue. Going to need some new music for this.
<laughs> right. Well, with Aqualung, you've got a fantastic blend of genres that are executed across sort of many differing song styles. And that, for me, is what makes it prog. And um, what I mean by that is that you have long six to seven minute songs and you've got short one and a half to two minute acoustic songs but they all display the same tendencies and characteristics now what i mean by those characteristics classical orchestration and sort of you know arrangement um progressive rock melodies and phrasing hard rock slash heavy metal riffs blues structures and in elements and in certain places blues chord progressions twin lead rhythm guitars and rhythmic phrasing coming from places other than drums this all leads to an entirely consistent and coherent album with many differing song styles but you know that it all comes from the same band the same songwriter and the same album and it also a little side note here is that it also astonished me that it can sound so proggy without relying so heavily on keyboards um, you think what we did with emerson lake and palmer and yes Keyboards and synths are such a uh, such a heavy part of prog rock, especially in the late sixties, going to the seventies, and for this album to not have that much of an emphasis using keyboards, but still sound like a prog rock record is a remarkable testament to the songwriting and compositional talent of Ian Anderson. And whilst I haven't studied the lyrics or taken the time to sort of read the story the way you have, Felipe, the whole thing feels very stage show slash musical theatre-y to me. The short songs are like the little bits where the narrator is telling a story before the longer song comes that tells you about a much bigger um, picture. And it kind of, like I said, the short songs prepare you for the next full-length song. And just to sum it up, I think it is a, a songwriting and compositional masterpiece. It is just phenomenal. I really enjoyed listening and sort of dissecting this album. I think I'd say that no one could have said it better. I mean, Thank amazing. You. If you don't mind, I have a couple of things to to say based on on of some of the stuff I've I've written for. I think it it stands out in a very diverse discography, and that's really hard because the albums, their albums, that's sound a good point. nothing alike. That's a great um, point. When you have albums that each sound different, to make one of those different albums stand out is a huge is it's a it's a job well done. Exactly, by not being conventional at all. And uh, they they managed to break from the, the blues roots into something more unique. You can't hear the blues in this album as much yeah. as you can hear on the first ones, uh, which is something they were really trying to do anyway. So that's, they achieved that. And for Ian Anderson, that wasn't their best album. And he, do you know how he describes it? Oh. I, I can't. I can picture him with a cup of tea saying that. Okay. It's, a, it's a good record with a bunch of good songs on it. <laughs> Just that. Fucking hell, Ian. Come on, man. Give yourself some credit. I mean, it's a brilliant album. Just. Okay, well, listen, that's that's the modesty and humbleness of a songwriter, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Amazing. Fantastic. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining us for another episode. We hope you've enjoyed this. I mean, honestly, man, I know we always talk a little bit about the episode after we finish, but I'll tell you now, this has been one of my favourite episodes to do. <laughs> I've, loved, I've loved how you've really analysed the lyrics and what he's trying to say, and I've sort of bought my musical... Not, no, what am I trying to say? I, I've, I've looked more into the musical side of it, and when we blend those two together, we really... 
I feel like we really, guys, you know, listeners. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. We, this is a bloody good podcast. We're doing, you know, isn't it? I think we have completely dissected this album within what about an hour. Um, but yeah, anyway. So all jokes aside, it's a, it's a good episode with a bunch of cool ideas in it. <laughs> <laughs> no more Brilliant. than that. And with that, we're going to leave it there. Um, as usual, guys. You know what? I haven't done this for, a, for actually a few episodes now, so I'm going to do this. Find us on these social media pages, please, guys. Give us likes, subscribe, please, because you know every like, every comment, every share, you know, gets us out into the world and it gets us to, to more people. Uh, if you're using the Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please go and give us a rating. All you've got to do is slide down to the bottom of the show note, hit five stars if you think that's what we're good enough for. Uh, and if you want, write a little review, just give us a paragraph because what this does is every review we get, it boosts us up the chart. Someone searches rock and roll, we get shown higher up. Someone searches music history, it gets shown higher up. Someone Googles um, Jethro Tull podcast. We will be higher up if you rate our podcast. Um, so we'd really appreciate that. Um, join us on our social media pages. We have discussions about once a week. We do the posts. We do some stories. So please go over, get involved to us. Um, I'm not going to ask Felipe where you can find us this week because I've just told you. Um, but the normal answer is the internet. Um, but We're anyway, on the internet yeah. everywhere. And uh, please, if you, if you can be bothered to download a few episodes, just to, you know, why not? Download a few episodes. Yeah, get our numbers up. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, Uh, yeah, anyway, right. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks for being with us and uh, keep on rocking, everyone. And as usual, take care and long live rock and roll.